Hey gang, I'm back. I'm not going to drag this intro out with small talk, but I will say I intended to record this on my actual birthday yesterday um, and release it on the same day. But honestly, um, as you can hear, I lost my voice from <laughs> way too much honey tequila and singing on Saturday. So yeah, my actual birthday was Tuesday, yesterday. I went out on Saturday. I'm a very rare big drinker. I'll spend 364 days of the year alcohol-free. And then one night, and I'm not even like, it's not a particularly long night, I just throw the entirety of my bank account at the bar and drink them out of tequila. Um, so yeah, this was Saturday night, followed shortly by getting kicked out of the bar. Um, I'm never too phased when this happens because I know they won't see me again anyway, so YOLO. It's just funnier when the bouncer like thinks I'll argue it and I'm like, yeah, fair enough, props bedtime anyway. Like literally the guy had such a smooth like kicking me out. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, time to go, don't worry about it. So yeah, four days later, if I sound rusty, <clears throat> this is why. So this celebration was a bit different. It wasn't like a final blowout before going on SAS, like last year, uh, which I did very privately. Instead, um, having just moved back to Bath, it felt less like a birthday and more like a good excuse to get my closest mates together for just a long overdue, let our hair down, piss up. If you aren't a new listener and you have followed me throughout this year, then you know it's had its huge highs and uncharted lows. Not the lowest of the lows, but I found myself in unfamiliar discomfort that I needed professional help to navigate me through. Um, whilst I'm not going to really massively go into that on this podcast, it's because two podcasts ago, I do really share um, what happened. So give that a listen if you're interested, but you don't need to be listening to this. You don't need to have listened to that, sorry, to understand this um, episode. They're all individual. Um, whilst I've been sad publicly and shared my stresses in parallel to this, I also acknowledge that this year has proved like how solid my mental health and resilience is. Yes, a healthy mental state and utter stress and sadness can coexist. The really mind-blowing result of years of self-development, application and practice has meant when I climbed some of the highest emotional and physical mountains this year, all my previous inner work was truly put to the test. Sorry, my bottle keeps popping. Move that over there. And man, have I caught myself on so many occasions being like, damn, old me really wouldn't have handled that well. It's a really encouraging feeling, like a pat on the back noticing that in the big and small hurdles, I I get this thought, old me would not have handled that well. It's, it's like a really comforting sign of growth. The reflection, looking back only to see how far I've come, has been a strong wind beneath my wings. So whilst I sat with broken vocals on my birthday, I instead whipped out my notes app and in this reflective mood, pinpointed what this particular year on earth I have learned. Whether it be me personally or a reoccurring lesson I found myself dishing out. Whilst these aren't lessons for your whole life, if you have listened to me long enough and resonated with my journey, then hopefully a fair few of these 15 pointers will speak to you. I tried to make 32 points, but I thought that was way too saturated. And I really wanted to be just like really honest and concise with my genuine findings. So... Let's go. Intro done. So the first three points do link up quite nicely. So let's, 
I kind of put them together for this reason. They're not in any kind of particular order. I just wanted to link them so they kind of went hand in hand. Point number one, ideas mean nothing without action. We all have dreams and aspirations, regardless of size, duration to achieve, money necessary to launch or facilities necessary to execute. Just talking about the dream will do absolutely nothing. The Idle Bio has really taught me the importance of showing people the magnitude of my vision versus just talking about it. Talk is cheap and every salesman is great at trumping your achievements. Speak less, show more. Nicely leading into point two. Don't tell people your goals. The dopamine hit is the same as achieving the goal. Take the road of delayed gratification. A big regret I found was telling too many friends about SAS before we were officially allowed to. Unfortunately, it meant six months after filming, when the show officially aired, the people closest to me didn't have the impactful hype I hoped for. I got such a dopamine hit telling them a secret, gaining instant gratification, that when the real dopamine was due to hit later, I I had, by fault of my excitement, used a percentage of that up earlier. The same applies to any exciting news that you wish to share early. You can't take that moment back. You don't know who talks to who, so you lose the excitement of telling the next person because they potentially already know. But also, the dopamine that you've used up actually takes a little steam away from your drive running up to actually achieving that goal. Point one and two made lesson three come pretty quick after. Abruptly stop people talking fear into your dreams. My best mate running up to SAS kept warning me out of love to prepare for not passing the auditions because I was putting all my eggs in one basket and I I really, really was and I think if you watch the show, you knew how prepared I was. Uh, In another situation, um, like eight months later, my mum, like after I got hit by a car, was worried I wouldn't be able to support myself if I didn't return to work quick. And just in a very casual conversation, just asked me, when are you going to find a real job? Both people care deeply for me, but I've never read or heard of a successful athlete or business owner not throwing the kitchen sink at a dream. Whilst both both have my interests at heart, I told them I don't even allow doubt into my mind. I don't do positive morning affirmations only to spend the rest of my day entertaining thoughts that counteract my mission. If you look at the obstacle, you will hit the obstacle. Skydiving rule number one when landing under under canopy. Get tunnel vision only for where you intend to land, obstruction free. Okay, now these next points aren't all linked hand in hand. But you might find there is like a thread that runs through them all. Number four, be consistent. Realise that a lot of hardworking people without handouts, achieving what you want, are no better, just mostly more persistent than you. Yes, there are varying factors that your defensive brain listening to this right now wants to say. But as a very simple example, tomorrow I'm deactivating my Instagram. Not because I spend hours on there, but the snippets of 5, 10, 15 minutes of attention I give the platform, that's 5, 10, 15 minutes of reading that random article someone sent me about NFTs or a new fitness program. It's time taken away that I could have meal prepped, thus saving me more time over the next few days away from cooking. It's not even necessarily taken from developing a skill or 
expanding knowledge, say. It's a suction of momentum between daily activities as well. No one puts their phone down and just jumps up with this new wave of life. This does nicely tie in with point five, actually. Time only goes faster the older you get. Don't waste it. Don't wish it away. Point six. Perceive nothing as a loss, but instead a redirection. An analogy I often think about is the red traffic light. When you're in a rush and hit a red light, despite how frustrating it may be, just know God has a plan. You weren't meant to be at your destination at your desired time, and there was a reason for that. A lot of time we don't know why, but always trust in God's plan, the universe, whoever you talk to when asking internal life questions. Point number seven, aim fucking high. Not much to elaborate with this one, but what I do know is not a single SAS recruit actually thought they would end up on the show when they applied. They all applied thinking, fuck it, they aimed high. Had they not even aimed, they would just be spectators on the couch claiming it looked easy and that they could do it. Another example, I was only temporarily moving back to the UK for the show's airing. I thought, fuck it. Aimed high, went for a meeting with the gallery to potentially hold an exhibition in London. Three months later, I have my own exhibition in London. Had I not aimed high and acted on the idea, I would have missed the random slot they had randomly available so soon. But instead, I would have the potential and now a contact to hold a gallery at a later date. Always aim, aim high, because then anything you land on is miles ahead of had you, had you not aimed at all. The same approach with previous points, Throw the kitchen sink at your goals and your efforts to get there. Point eight. Accept people you care about will disappoint you, but accept it's not personal. This I first learned on my return from SAS. And I felt my friendship group didn't make much effort whilst I watched all the other recruits return to banners, welcome home gifts and family meals. I came home to an empty house and didn't see another human for three days. It sucked and unfortunately it took three more monumental events of loneliness to feel let down by friends or family over the course of the year. Whilst each one sucked initially, it took me returning home this time round, spending time outside of the Panya show, the wild and adventurous life of me, 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 to see and listen to real people with normal daily stresses, individual family baggage, terminal illnesses, deep-rooted depression, savage heartaches, family losses, act people actually having a matrix of bullshit in their own lives, that even them, like, acknowledging my accolades, even them just dropping a simple message of, I'm proud of you, should have been f enough, more than enough. In hindsight, we don't know what other people are going through, and it's so easy to say. But when you take time out of your own world... Listening to other people makes you realise that the time they did give you was actually super considerate. I suffered loneliness a lot this year, but it took two very frank, mature and decent human beings sitting me down and telling me straight that my void, creating that lonely feeling so many people would give a limb to have over their own problems. We are the most important people in our own lives. Just recognise that the same applies to everyone else. You are a guest featuring in their show. You aren't the lead role and vice versa. This understanding lightens the weight of disappointment massively and actually makes you turn up as a better friend. Now, just hear me out. 
on the other side of the coin with how people turn up in your life. This next point, I only recently saw so transparently in the form of an old flame. Point nine, people pleasing only attracts superficial kindness that isn't actually authentic to you. I broke my own heart late last year before going to Kenya. Great guy, or at least he really wanted me to think. But he hadn't need, he hadn't been single long enough, so I stepped back. I broke my own heart for his own development. It hurt, but I knew I'd be grateful in the long run if we were to cross paths later down the line as two healed individuals. We do cross paths later down the line, a couple of months ago. He wasn't single, which kind of didn't shock me because people who have a need and a longing to be liked and loved will naturally gravitate towards relationships. But, you know, after time you realise it's for all the wrong reasons. It was a blessing in disguise, realising that had I stuck with him, it would have been because he's a relationship person, not because I was worthy, me personally, of taking him off the shelf as a single person. He wasn't single, but given the close proximity of work and training and our pleasant history, we maintained a friendship over innocent morning coffee dates. Whilst I've always always labelled him a super nice guy, uh, conversations were shared where I noticed this guy had a strong need to be liked by everyone. My biased opinion of him, though, interpreted this as a genuinely nice person. But I guess as the rose-tinted glasses had since, you know, we dated almost a year ago now, over time faded and the transparency in our story sharing kind of gave a few warning signs. One reason he appealed to me back back when we dated was because we were we were allies in our dislike for certain fitness cliques and toxic females, specifically within our town. One of which, a few years ago, made my life pretty hard behind closed doors. Later, in sharing this information with him, I learned that this same girl tried to get him fired for not sleeping with him back when he had a girlfriend. I really valued what we had because I felt like it was this nice, private, untouched romance where I felt understood in a town that made me feel like an outsider. I let him in. Unfortunately, in my time away, up until our coffee dates, I started hearing from him stories that included a lot of these people claiming he didn't like drama and he wanted to keep the peace. But truth is, not standing for anything or having solid moral compass on people who have disrespected you, I find really unattractive. I'm not saying look for problems and create problems and cause hostility. I'm saying be very wary of who you give access, like who has access to you, especially people who have disrespected you in the past. It's not water under a bridge. That Those are ugly traits I don't want to be associated with. Stories led to transparent conversations of who he had slept with when I left. Whilst you're free to do what you want, and I can't express to any man listening that yes, you can do what you want, but there are consequences to certain actions. The standard of people you choose to put your dick in is quite telling. I was seeing someone with no boundaries or self-respect be everyone's friend in a bid to be liked. Taylor Taylor Swift says, a friend of everyone isn't a friend of mine. I fucking love that. There's levels to respect, there's levels to friendship, there's levels to energy. If everyone can have it, I don't want it. 
You are the average of the five people you hang out with most. Best believe I'm not gauging my average on a saturated market. My friends are top tier people with solid morals, beliefs and boundaries who hold me accountable when I slip. People who want to be liked by the masses avoid confrontation, conflict or discomfort. All necessary interactions to better yourself. When someone people pleases, whilst they seem very nice, be weary that it's not because you have earned their niceness. It's disingenuous because they need to be liked. Point 10. Offering frequent help when wanting to better a loved one's life can alternatively result in you feeding the problem. Sitting on your hands to let that person discover the path for themselves is the most helpful but painful thing you can do. Listen, don't intervene. In all transparency, the story behind this one is too close to home for me. It will break your heart over and over to watch someone you love be at rock bottom. But, and what I have to keep reminding myself, is I only built these tools for this incredible life because no one helped me at rock bottom. People loved me consistently, checked on me consistently, walked silent with me throughout the whole journey, guided me with their experiences, but no amount of financial loans, life advice, or I'll do this for you, don't worry, will actually get that person out of rock bottom. In this situation, I see my own depression as a blessing because I can confidently say this point. Without it, I probably would keep feeding the problem truthfully. If you haven't suffered, just please take my word for it. Point. 11. And best believe I'm saying this with a fucking smile on my face. Stop chasing boys. I have no side notes with this. Just fucking stop. Get your mind so sharp, your body so fucking sexy and your chat so goddamn intelligent that honestly, chasing seems ridiculous. If it happens, it happens. And whilst it's good, lap it the fuck up. Once it's done, allow it. The stress of silly boys not knowing what they want is contagious and infectious. That shit makes you lose sleep, thus waking up looking tired. They're not going as hard in the gym. They're slacking with work. They're not being present with mates because your mind is fucking occupied. Honestly, no. Please, I'm 32 now. One sexy motherfucker who's succeeding in life. This point is in capitals. Stop chasing boys. Point 12. <laughs> and this one... It's healthily shifted my attachment to moments. Just like bad times shall pass, so will good ones. Acknowledging both sides of the scale with this one will help the former not feel so heavy and make the latter more valuable in the moment. When you are having a shit time, remember that you have had shit times before and guess what? They've passed but also apply that to good times. When you are having a good time, be present, appreciate it, because you will value it so much more knowing that just like bad times, good times also will pass. Lap it up, enjoy it, value it, appreciate it. Point 13, make yourself less accessible. Practice saying no without justifying it. Not only will you become more disciplined with your time and priorities, but the times you say yes aren't wasted and the company knows that. It's the opposite of people pleasing. It's being picky with who you give your energy to because you know it's a privilege for them to have access to you and vice versa. Point 14, cut anyone and anything off that's not aligned with the vision. Ask old friends and current ones. Old ones won't have much good to say about me because 
I cut them off. It's as simple as they weren't aligned with the vision. Don't mistake this for me not seeing something in them that I can use advantageously. No way. But how do you feel when you leave their company? Is your soul nourished? What topics did they discuss? Did you discuss together? Sorry. Did they help you solve a problem in your head? Did they listen? Did you want to listen to them? When you so thoroughly tend to your garden, only invite people in who also thoroughly tend to their garden. I have business friends aligned to the vision, but we're not just talking about business. We're talking about fitness. We're talking about your love life. We're talking about your home life. I was really meticulous with who I, who I chose to live with because they needed to also complement my mission outside of my work hours. Just like we take care and time when choosing to marry a significant other, apply that indirect interview process to your human interactions. Finally, point 15. The path is only more difficult if the calling is higher. This has been the most successful year, but genuinely the hardest graft I've ever had to put in alongside it. I've had family worried about my health in between the monumental accidents just because I've been mentally fried or just looking like shit because I'm too productivity focused. I'm not saying do this. I wouldn't advise this. But when shit's been unbelievably tough and sometimes with no certainty of the outcome, I've just trusted that the higher the calling, the more difficult the path. So if the path is more difficult, I know how big the end result is going to be. Guys, my voice made it to the end. I actually feel like it almost like has warmed up. <laughs> Thanks for listening and feel free to leave a review so this podcast gets more attention. It feels good creating an episode with direct advice again. This is kind of why I started podcasting in the first place. And then this year just kind of went a bit wild. So I had to fill people in along the way through podcasting. I'll be jumping between this style of podcasting and storytelling as I continue along this journey of the Panya show. <laughs> Big love, stay focused, and if you're not ruffling feathers, you're not doing it right.